This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, hey, hi. It's Crystal sitting here thinking about you, wondering how you are, what's going on in your life. I hope it's good. I hope you're uh, taking moments to pause and being in the present in the middle of this chaos, the eye of the storms. It feels so heavy, right? Everything is um, more. Everything is more of what it's been. Um, Just a lot of people in pain. Um, I recently uh, found out that someone I know that I really admired passed away. uh, And that hurt, right? When you know that the world is darker because the light was so big. Um, but she was the funniest person I think I've ever seen on stage. She's like Amy Sedaris and Maria Bamford had a baby and you would get Miss Marilyn Devine. And that stung. That's been something very recent. Uh, and just a lot of people in pain, right? Trying to pause and think about that. But uh, 45's out. The obvious. Not going to be 46. <laughs> And uh, that's pretty great. So uh, didn't even win the electoral vote, didn't win the popular vote, like did not win in any aspect. It felt good to see that. I I kept joking that I would have voted for my dog's butt, um, Jimmy's butt, over that, over 45. uh, It was relieving, right? So there's these amazing things that happen along the way of all the the things that are just more, we're just more. I'm more than what I was six months ago. I'm, right? Like, it's it's all just more, and um, people are struggling. So, again, I really hope that you're taking some time to remember that uh, you have love around you, and you are loved because you are loved. It's important to take moments. I really talk a good game here. I wish I really need to do exactly what I said a lot more. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Um, my next guest, I'm so excited about this, uh, Andy. So first of all, Andy is an amazing musician, and I, in between this intro and then the actual recording of us, um, I'm going to play a little bit of his music, and at the end I'll play the entire song called Chambermaid. Check it out, Andy. Uh, so first and foremost, amazing musician. Um, uh, really brilliant. So easy to talk to. Uh, like, Andy goes deep, just like I do. I'm not a service talker. I just want to be like, what's the most vulnerable thing that we can talk about together right away? Like, so I could talk to Andy forever. Um, And I just really enjoyed uh, having time with him. So for Andy, I picked a Brene Brown quote. Uh, She said, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. And I feel like that fits Andy's story because he spent years outside his own story hustling so hard, and he's just now standing inside and owning it. And it's what he's doing now, and it's really, really inspiring. In this story, you will hear Andy talk about his childhood and the turmoil of divorce that brings on any child, uh, what religion can do to perceptions of our foundations, and how easy it is to be taken advantage of from people in the music industry. I mean, honestly, in just any industry, there's always people trying to take advantage, right? And, um, you know, you even get to hear 
Like, even an adult white hetero man uh, can still have really bad things happen to them in very safe places. Uh, and you will hear how all of this led to um, a substance abuse problem that Andy's getting help for just, just, just like recent, which is honestly being able to sit with Andy and hold space and talk about something that he is just now getting help for and be so vulnerable to share that um, was pretty amazing. I really appreciated having that experience with him. Uh, Andy is brave uh, and relentless, which is another thing I really, really love about Andy. Um, Andy is extremely kind and is working on breaking the patterns, right, to live inside his own story. And uh, that, to be conscious of that, to be aware, right, when we've talked about it, like on Mandy's podcast, um, being able to be present and feel things in your body, understand that your nervous system gives you signals, that those kinds of things, Andy's working on that. And um, I also think that it's uh, powerful to constantly be wanting to learn and grow. And I saw that in Andy's eyes, even over Zoom. Um, and I appreciated that, that, that eagerness. It's just great. It's hope, right? It's somebody that wants to be better. And if we individually all want to be better, then we would all be better as a society. So... Um, it was hope. I felt hope a little bit after talking to Andy, which actually might be the weirdest intro I've ever given. <laughs> like, I felt hope after listening to Andy's dramatic story. I have to laugh at myself. Um, I know Andy will laugh too, but yeah, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I did feel hopeful, you know, I did, and I hope you do too. I hope you feel hopeful after listening to Andy's story. Um, just because somebody wants to get better. And that's, that's what I want to say is there every time one person wants to be better, it makes me feel hope, right? I just said it in a weird way. <laughs> when I first started this podcast, I would have totally went back and re-recorded this, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna leave it because it's me, right? Um, so as we go into this, and as always, please listen uh, to this story with an open heart and an open mind. No judgment. And I love you. I hope you're well. Enjoy Andy's music. How is it that I became another nameless face? And in another moment close behind I was born in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Oh, I didn't know that. In Missouri. The show me state. Okay. And how long were you there? Uh, nine months. I don't have any memories from my home. Missouri? Like, Missouri. Or Missouri, yeah. And then where'd you go? Uh, then we went military family, right? So Air Force brats. We went to uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. And, that's right. And that's where I, you know, have 
my earliest memories of childhood and and things like that climbing a tree across the street at my friend mary's house and things like that went back years later and the tree was still there just how i remembered it that's cool yeah that's a happy memory to start with that (laughs) that's a good thing so who are we when you say we were in ohio who was in your family yeah so my family my mom and dad dad was the one that was in the air force and you know and he he worked really hard for a lot of years he spent 20 years in the air force oh my god and you know while raising a family and stuff like there you know in so many ways he's just this champion and this warrior for his family but just for people you know he's a hearted human being and so we ended up there you know during his journey and towards the end of his service I'm the youngest of five, so that was the only move that I ever made until we moved up here to Spokane. So my parents, and being the youngest of five, it was also my four older siblings. Um, yeah. That's a big family. It's a big family, yes. Yeah. How were the dynamics that you can remember? Like, how was the marriage? How was your parents married? Are they still married? Um, parents are not married. No, the dynamics before they divorced when I was 10. Um, I don't so much remember hard times in Ohio, but I do remember basically just, um, lots and lots of chaos at home, you know, by the time we got to Spokane, or at least when I started to really form memories of that dysfunction in the family. Um, just a lot and mostly you were 10 when they divorced yeah so I was basically basically like fourth grade and you know and and it shows you know if you like I was I was a you know good good kid good student growing up all through school like continued into college and stuff but fourth grade was you look at my grades and they were shit I don't know exactly what they were but I know they took a dip because it was it's hard yeah it was hard and and I don't have a lot of memories from that year I just remembered that it was dark it was a dark fucking place yeah yeah oh I'm sure yeah divorce is really hard on on the kids was it a um amicable situation with your parents as amicable as amicable as it can be when one person decides to leave okay you know I my mom filed for divorce and I think my dad would have tried to stick around and make it work but um, I think it's would have been impossible for the two of them right right so so a lot of you know the early dynamics that formed me were rooted in that in that sadness yeah that has stayed with me you know I did they talk to you about it? Like, how were their um, boundaries about the breakup? Because that's a big thing with divorce, right? Is like how you, uh, what you say to the kids, like, did you feel like you carried any weight of it? Um, how yeah. involved were you in the details of the of it? Was it dramatic or was it, were they pretty mature about that? Any maturity would have had to been provided by myself. It was not provided by my parents, especially my mom. Um, I actually just talked about this recently with a counselor that I started seeing for substance issues. Um, so 
first time in my life I've specifically sought help for substance abuse Um, because it's for a while it worked you know it works until it doesn't work right Uh, so I can remember specifically being at at the corner at a specific corner right by the high school that I would later attend and I was in the back seat I believe of my mom's car and I was thinking about it probably for a mile as we were driving and then I finally worked up the courage to say you know mom I'm worried about dad I'm worried that he might take his life and I'm 10 and her response was he'll be fine he has all that money oh ouch yeah. So I don't know how I processed it. I probably didn't, but it was just immediate dismissal of um, what I thought was a very urgent need. Yeah. Yeah. But and I mean, that's, those are the kind of things that get branded onto your soul, you know? Right. Certain things that a significant other says that it just immediately, boom, yeah. branded, you know? Yeah. And the same with, uh, with parents I think it's anybody that's within close proximity that's in your tribe and you've all of a sudden are presented with something that feels like you're being betrayed right and then do not feel like validated in your fears and feelings on top of it so validation was your was your family religious yeah so I was raised in the Mormon church and it was hard for me because I took it seriously and I tried to do the right thing as much as I could. And I didn't see that from my contemporaries. Mm. I mean, we were kids, but, you know, especially after the divorce, you know, I had to grow up fast in a lot of ways. In some ways, I've been stunted and I'm still trying to develop healthy responses, healthy coping mechanisms. But in a lot of ways, I was so much more mature than the people that were around me that they they really, it made me feel isolated and alone, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. just the religion is sort of in a, for me, it's oppressive, you know, it's all about preserving the peace and preserving the order, regardless of what that does to your own personal well-being, no matter how much damage it causes internally, you preserve the order of the institution of the patriarchal church, and you keep the peace of the home because the home is really just um, where it all starts, and the church itself is considered and operates like a greater extended family. So right. if, if that doesn't work for you, you're kind of fucked. Right. Like, what do you mean boundaries? Your boundaries are your boundaries and where the church walls end, essentially. Right. Yeah. So I'm hearing, and I could be wrong. So tell me if I am, I'm hearing like um, a lot of hypocrisy that you felt and you were keen yeah. to right away. And it, yeah. And it's, you experience it. It, it messes you up inside. Yeah. It messes you up. Yeah. Um, because you're, you're constantly trying to arrive at an imaginary destination. Someone tells you there's gold in this town here on this map and you get there and there's nothing. <laughs> there's not even fool's gold. It's just a pit in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not funny, but it's funny. Like it's a perfect way of describing. So your, your childhood had to have been a lot different than say your oldest sibling. Cause you were the youngest. Yeah. Like, that has to be a weird dynamic as well. Yeah, there's a 12-year spread between me and my oldest oh my sibling. God. Yeah. And so, we're, you know, we are 
literally in different generations. And also with regards to like the parenting we got, I mean, you know, my, my mother, I don't think she's a bad person, but her, she's been mentally ill my whole life. And I think it's only gotten worse with times so by the time that I kind of needed these things for my own personal development, they just weren't there, you know, an, an acknowledgement of the pain that I was going through. Um, you know, an acknowledgement, like, hmm, he's so well behaved at school and, and this, you know, does so well there. Why doesn't he do so well at home? Well, fucking figure it out. Why do you fucking think? Yeah. 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 Hmm, that could be a sign. Maybe. Right. And then like, did you end up living with your mom or what did it look like after the divorce? So this should be noted as well. The court systems mean well, but they're fucked. <laughs> so maybe I could be more articulate, but I just love that word. So they're, they're <laughs> because they think they're providing you stability. And so their version of stability looked like, okay, you're going to, you're going to live with your mom or you're going to live with your dad. Cause he's got the bigger house, whatever makes the most income. And then you're going to go to your mom's every Tuesday and Thursday and every other weekend, how any fucking adult thinks that that is a stable uh, setup for a child is beyond yeah. me. Like you're going for some equality that really you're failing at. You're not providing any equality and you're not providing any stability. So eventually we just kind of made the agreement per, you know, the urging of me and my brother, I believe, let's just do every other week. This is insane. It didn't work. It really added to the chaos of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So you did that. You would be one week with your dad and one week with your mom. Eventually. Yeah. But initially, you know, probably for Ugh. a year or so, at least it was, Tuesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend you would switch so yeah. it's like how do you keep that straight yeah you don't that's a lot that's a whole lot yeah so how were how were your friendships and how were your relationships with your siblings when you were a kid you know they were pretty good you know my brother teased me a little bit but that's just kind of normal brother stuff you know we ended up being much tighter as we got older especially as I went into high school um it's from my point of view, I've watched like some of my older siblings, like they're, it's like, Oh, they're not, those two aren't talking to each other now. What's the reason this time? So there, it was always some degree of, all right, this is the, the order. Uh, th these are the dynamics in these relationships, but then they could change at any time. And it's like, Oh, okay. So they are talking again. Oh, okay, cool. Great. And then, no, oh, wait, they're not again. Oh, all right. So the dynamics are just strained. They're strained for a number of reasons. And, you know, when I talk about how my childhood being very different from my older siblings, well, yeah. also part of that is because my dad, you know, raised them in the church, in the Mormon church. He literally raised me out of it, helped oh. me pull myself out of it when he started being more honest about his disbelief. Um, oh, wow. the you know there's the family values and then there's the theology you know but as a young kid you know how could I tell the difference between the two you know it was the church and it's the way that those values are reinforced in the church it's just if you're not in line you know you're kind of ostracized you know that our particular ward in the church our little congregation you know ostracized my whole fucking family because 
again, it's about preserving the order and the peace. They didn't know how to like deal with these real emotions. And there was some helpfulness, but you know, there was also a point where, you know, my father was not getting the support from his brethren that he really needed. Yeah. You, it's the mold. It's the, yeah, it's like the appearance and the mold of what it's supposed to be. And if you're against it and these, and these uniformed religions, right. You're out. And people say religion brings people together. It, it does, but only into these small tribes. And then each of those tribes, my whole life, I've seen Mormons think they're, they're the only true church. Well, so do the Catholics, my friend. And so does every other fucking church. So what you're offering me is functionally and structurally the same as what anyone else is offering me. Yeah. And so I've grown not to like organizations very much. Yeah. I don't like groups. I like relationships. I don't Mm -hmm. care what symbol or label you throw on something. Right. I want the real deal. Right. And then you mentioned that your mom, your mom, you think has a mental illness. And what do you think that is? We, myself and others, think that it's borderline personality disorder. Um, And that's just based on observation. That's based on my years, years of counseling, consistent counseling and the behaviors and the dismissal and the constantly being on eggshells and trying to it's conditioned me basically for it to be like constantly hypervigilant about okay. a lot of things. And, but that's not sustainable energetically. You can't keep that up. No. But that mm-hmm. mental illness, you know, that, that instability, of, again, what we think, it's, it's not just me, but it's me and several of my siblings think that it's borderline personality disorder. Um, and we've all, we've all experienced it. We all know it to be to be true, whatever label we want, you want to put on it, right? Sometimes labels help, sometimes they obscure, but no matter what you call it, the dynamics were not healthy. And Mm -hmm. I was in middle school, I was probably 13. When I, after, you know, a couple of years of this back and forth between my dad and my mom, I finally just had to tell my mom, like, I, I can't live with you anymore. You know, and she, of course, takes took it personally and never really, I don't think, like internally forgave me uh, in the <sighs> same way. Well, I think she internally has forgiven a lot of my siblings for just trying to focus on their families, you know, and not being able to constantly parent her, right? Ah, yeah. But it's... Um, well, there's a lot of pain there, I'm sure, from, from the lack of, uh, I mean, love. The lack of love and acceptance that you need from a mother, I'm sure. Yeah, and I, you know, I understand now that part of it, I think, is because of how her parents were with her, and I get that. But a counselor of mine, this is a couple counselors ago, because it's this work does not stop. Right. Not stop when yes. you've been conditioned like this. Um, your, he told me sometimes you have to take responsibility for things that are not your responsibility yeah and so you know it's part of the reason why I've struggled to make my own family over the years like I don't want to destroy my children right no I get that yeah yeah and I don't think that it sounds as though you are pretty self-aware of the things and that you're on a path of healing so I don't think that you would 
I don't right. think that you're you're working to to stop the patterns. It's really hard when you know it's hard to diagnose anybody because not neither one of us are professionals. But when you think your parent has something that they're not willing to get help with or admit to, and then you add another level of religion, yeah, of keeping the order. It's it's really hard when your siblings are divided with wanting to just keep the order and then the other half of them are like yeah that's not really working like you know where to find a happy medium but in turn the ones that like you that really just want to call a spade a spade you end up you're still the one that's is getting hurt by it you're still the ones that have to carry all the the drama and the weight because the truth is there and you know it and that's yeah. not easy you know and it's not easy you know i just wish it could be like you know if i'm annoying just say I'm annoying maybe I know you 100% of the time I'm around you like right yeah. you know but if that's true just let me know so we can be honest it's that lack of honesty that is that becomes a cancer in your life it really does you know one of my favorite um uh, religious philosophers once said the truth when known but ignored becomes a poison in your life and it's true yeah. And I stopped wanting to willingly take that poison. Yeah. And yeah. Yep. I get fired up. I get loud. I get a little rowdy. I'm at shaking I'm that, that shakes the order that makes the order not be orderly. So that, <laughs> right. It's like, that's they, that makes people shut down. They're not used to it. They don't want that. They don't want to face it. All those, all those patterns and things. So how was, how was your high school? How was going to high school? What was that like for you? High school was because you were you were doing so. I I'm not Mormon and I don't know a whole lot, so I could I may not be correct here. Did you have to go to Mormon school and then high school? Like, is that how it works? You have to go to church first in the mornings. So there's seminary when you get into high school. There's seminary, which okay. is like basically a zero hour class. But for me, like, I had so much trauma stored in my body. Like, I wanted to go. I tried to go, but like. I physically like was just exhausted in the mornings. So me getting to like a 6.30 a.m. class when my body is constantly in this state of trauma was not going to happen. And, you know, my friends would wait outside in the car and then eventually it was just clear, like, I, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do this. And I didn't, and I was pretty much, you know, having my doubts in the church anyway. There was no stability. I've got one father who lives the values but doesn't like the theology and then another parent who claims to believe all of the theology, but doesn't live the values in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. So, That's confusing. So why do I need that in my life? Why can't I focus on direct relationships and how I treat yeah. people and how they treat me and things like that? So high school was when I was kind of liberating in some ways, but it was also when my depression really started to kick in. Like sophomore year went by like that. I don't remember a lot of my sophomore year. Um, and I started, you know, now that I pieced it together, like I was dating, um, a girl who it turned out that she ended up being gay, but now she's got a wonderful wife and a child and it's awesome. And I'm so fucking happy for her. Yeah. But at yeah. the time, you know, I didn't realize that I was taking on some of her unhealthy behaviors as a way to connect. Like not like she didn't sleep well at night. So I would keep myself up really late so that I could empathize with her because I, I didn't know that I was, that's probably something I had done my whole life with my mom. 
because oh my mom goodness. also kind of kept me and my brother in this little bubble like I found out just years ago that during like that divorce that like my my older sister and her husband were like offering to do things with us that my mom just never passed along to us oh. and you're like holy shit and I was telling this to someone else like Maybe if I'd gotten some of that fucking attention, I wouldn't feel so goddamn broken all the time. Yeah, yeah. Me, and it bordered that is like, I don't think my mom's a bad person, but that is borderline sinister. And that was really hard to swallow. And that came right around the same time where, if we can, I'll get back to the high school stuff, but I, I dropped everything because my mom was going to have this surgery like, I don't know, six years ago on her neck. And we've been talking about it for a while. And then all of a sudden it just kind of came up. It's like, oh, it's happening tomorrow. So I dropped everything that I was doing, went over and took care of her along with my sister for 10 days. Mm. But like, and during that, like she would fight us on everything that we were doing to try to take care of her. And at one yeah. point I said, mom, you know, I do love you. She goes, really? Oh God. And I was like, I'm done. Hmm. like that was a change that was a turning point for me where I said I'm not going to put myself in this environment no matter how bad you are because I give a damn about myself and you don't about me or yourself enough to do something about it and I've I've told her this that affected me and I'm different because of it yeah so, yeah, I mean, good for you being able to say that because it's the fact that when, when a mother doesn't reciprocate yeah. enough unconditional love and yeah. that you're never enough in the messaging and like no matter what you do, whatever song and dance, yeah. it's not going to be having to prove something all the time yeah. means that in the end you end up being in relationships where you take on their yeah. stuff to try to connect because that's yeah. the only way you know how to connect. And to- I didn't realize that until years after high school that I was oh, doing that with my first girlfriend and my second girlfriend. And even after I became aware of it as an adult, the, those behaviors would still find their way into some of my, the dynamics of my relationships when they weren't working out. And when I was giving someone the benefit of the doubt only re- later to realize I was being gaslit. Mm-hmm. whole fucking time not this girl mm-hmm. in high school you know not not those relationships but older ones are not like my fiance's I've been engaged twice they've never worked out mm-hmm. it's just, um the first one was kind of my fault you know I wasn't healed I wasn't in a place where I um had gotten through some stuff that I needed to do in order to um be the man that I wanted to be you know so I don't blame her for leaving I do blame her for leaving me for one of her massage clients and then but the second one you know there's this book that I'd read called the struggle for intimacy it's a very good book about adult children of alcoholics and the things that they battle with my second fiance happened to be an adult child of an alcoholic Mm -hmm. I had read it after my first fiance left because some of the situations applied to just trauma in general right And so for this most recent uh, relationship, you know, I said, hey, I have some of the tendencies in this book. I can admit that there are some unhealthy stuff that I need to work on. And I see some things in this book that remind me of 
of some of your behaviors, I think we can work together and grow independently as well as grow together. And I think this can help make us stronger. If you read the book, which is a small book, and then said, I'm not ready for any of that. And I was like, intimacy? Then what? Then what are we doing? It's like she wanted all the benefits of a relationship and none of the responsibilities. Yeah. It's just incredible. And I tried so hard to make that work. I got a dream job. Like I've been working on trying to have a viable career in music for a long time. And then I got hired by my city, by the library to be like a music education specialist, teach needs-based music lessons to people with library cards. Yeah. It changed my life. I got the call that I got that job and I just had to pull over on the road and just cry. I was doing all of that with this second fiance and also, you know, I, I got a, I found a house for us to rent, had raised beds. She liked gardening. So she wanted raised beds. And I found this place. She wasn't feeling safe at home with her father. Her father, she had moved back from uh, the East coast after being a teacher there for a number of years. And her father and mother or stepmother happened to be going through a divorce and she was living in that house. Her mom, her stepmom started acting more and more erratic, had access to a gun and the gun was not in the safe. Oh God, yeah. She literally didn't feel safe. So I found a place while I'm starting this new job, while I'm leading another job, while I'm still working on my music career on the side and getting paid extra money for that, for performances. And her sister was living with her as well, an older sister who had just gone through brain surgery. So I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm finally kind of like climbing this ladder of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, I'm living proof that this works and that this is the way that it is. And so I found this house for her and her sister so that her sister could live and have a place to recover for free. And just she started to resent me for the help that I was giving. She started resenting me for the help that I was taking. And it just became impossible. Mm -hmm. But it was just based on that conditioning. Just try, try to keep the order, try to keep the peace. And looking back, you know, and towards the end of it, I was thinking of leaving, but then she ended up ghosting. Like, Mm. I don't know how you do that to someone that you say you were going to spend your life with. Like, no resolution, no closure, nothing, just gone. That does sound like a child of an alcoholic move. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As I am one as I am one of those people. So I can very much relate to not wanting to deal with any kind of conflict and just ghosting, which is a very shitty thing to do to another human being. But when you have no value, right? In yourself and what people, how you should be treated or what you should do, you make mistakes like that, especially when you're not like willing to lean in and work on it because for whatever reason, she just wasn't ready at that time. Yeah. yeah she she wasn't and thank god that that happened andy when it did like honestly because you at least you didn't get married and have kids and all that like whoosh dealing with all of that like in a way it's a it's a severe blessing that she ghosted (laughs) and painful yes but in the end in the long run of the what was going to happen like Right. Very cowardly way of, of uh, exiting, though. Yeah, Very yeah. Cowardly. You know, and, you know, I've ghosted people for, you know, oh, yeah. 
smaller things. I think we all have, you know, mm -hmm. I think, you know, so, yeah. but there are just sometimes when there's a right way to do something. There's a number of right ways to do something and you chose a wrong way. You right. Know? So let's go back. Let's, I have a question. So yeah. Yeah. With that being said, we're going to go back into the high school realm and the growth yep. of, because you've made it very clear of the pathologies that have been brought upon you with your family and the dynamics. And then I'm hearing you as an adult that you had, you had attracted certain types of people that similar to the patterns of your childhood. So you're in high school. Did you find something that like worked for you? Is that where you found music? Is that the time that you really got into music? That's the time when I started writing music. I How remember awesome. my, yeah, my, I went to, I've got some cousins in Utah and they took me to like my first rock and roll concert. It was mm. Warped Tour 2000. So I got the full immersion of something that changed my life. It was because of that experience that I wanted to see, can I do that? Right. And I found that I could, and I was getting good like responses from it. So that started after, you know, my freshman year, like I was in a band in freshman year. Like we were like the only freshmen's kind of in a band in a high so school. So you're doing music and then you, the whole time in high school, you're like loving it and doing music. How, how was that for you as far as an escape goes? And like, were you losing yourself in that to where you could feel yeah. joy? Flow state. Yeah. It was my first experience really with flow state and yeah. flow state. just going down into the basement of my dad's house where I had music gear and just playing for four hours, six yes. hours, yes. teaching myself, I, you know, self-taught on drum set and teaching myself the guitar and teaching myself to sing, just burying my head into a corner so that I can hear myself and just running stuff over and over again, writing lyrics. I started with poetry kind of like in eighth grade or so, and it was just kind of a natural extension. It gave, it actually gave a more artistic structure to the poetry itself, mm -hmm. you know, in the form of music. Mm -hmm. and so That's it, awesome. It was really great, you know, and it really helped with the fact that, you know, my depression was kicking in right. in high school. So I had this good outlet yeah, so I was still in high school. It was senior year, and we started working, my brother and I, because he, he joined my band, um, my second band, and we had a, the same bass player as in both my first two bands, but my brother joined the second one. In fact, me and one of our friends, his best friend, uh, basically, we were able to, like, talk him out of college like you're in college now but you can go to college anytime when can you do this and he's like yeah you're right so we talked about oh, finishing college which he did later uh, go on to do but we talked about a college and he joined the band he was in my band you know our band for three years or or more Ooh, you know yeah so we in, in that senior year my brother and I in that band started working with a producer in Montana and at first it seemed pretty cool you know he had a legitimate studio somewhat um it, over in montana it was at the base of these beautiful mountains and here's the moment i knew that this was a huge mistake i was in the vocal booth i was doing a vocal take so you were there you were in montana yeah why well, okay. would I, okay so high school right I would leave for like my entire senior year I would leave for like a week at a time to go work on this album and come back make up my homework make up any tests I missed things like that um but my 
I thought about just dropping out of school, but I thought, you know, other people helped convince me that it would be wise to just get your diploma. You'll always yeah. have it. And so I stayed in school and I was making trips over there with my brother for a week at a time. And then um, I don't remember, it was just sometime during one of those sessions where I was in the vocal booth, I was doing a take on a song and he showed his true colors. And I said, hey, you know, um, yeah, I'm not sure about that take. There's a few things I want to do. I want to go back and maybe try this or this or, or maybe that, you know. And I was just like, I'm working, right? This is my work. This is my life's work. And I'm doing it. I'm not thinking about anything else. And he pushes the talk back button through the glass. And he says, uh, how about you do it how I told you to do it? Yeah. And my heart sank and it didn't come up for probably about a year. And um, then we, we, you know, we ended up living with him to see if we could make this thing work. And he just turned out to be just, um, I think he had the same mental illness that my, my mother had actually. Uh, very similar mechanisms, very similar behavior, just gaslighting, um, physical intimidation. Like this guy was big, he was probably, pushing 300 pounds, six, four over me sometimes and try to intimidate me. And I would just look up and just stare him down like, no, shit like that. So I had to, I had to stand up for myself in a lot of ways, you know, but that takes its toll on you. So yeah. that was my first experience out of high school was like, um, welcome to the real world. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So he was explosive. This guy, he was explosive and, um, yeah, like he'd he violent. Yeah, he's like he never laid a hand on me, but he was, he was violent. I mean, there's, you know, violence when you see it, right. Um, violence is an attitude. I think a lot of yeah. the time it yeah. comes you can feel it. You can feel it. Yeah. Slam, you know, slamming yeah. people when he didn't get his way. And it's like, dude, I'm 18. I'm more mature than you. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I mean, we just blow up, make threats about, um, you know, you'll never get anywhere. Like, oh, you want to go back to that podunk town that you're from? Mind you, we had just moved into his place, which is in a smaller town than when we where we came from. But it's, you know, that didn't matter. Um, I, was, I didn't have the tools to properly defend myself from the psychological abuse because, it was the same abuse that I'd been trying to survive my whole life right? in a different form and in a much more intentional way. And yeah. so we paid the money, um, us. we paid him for a service, but like he was inept along with corrupt. And um, we see how that plays out, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> terrible that you went yeah. through that. Like, were you 18 when you were flying over there to see him at that point? Uh, driving, actually. Or driving, yeah. driving. Yeah. So, yeah, I was 18. And okay. basically my entire first adult year was just a living hell. Right. Yeah. Because you're dealing with this big bully. Well, and it was extra, Yeah, and it was extra deflating and heartbreaking because it was now attached to this thing that I had found that was the healthiest thing I'd ever found that made me feel the most like me than anything else I'd ever found. Right. And now, you know, almost double that time later, 
going to be 35 in less than a month. And I still struggle with trying to do my music without those triggers. Mm-hmm. I, you when and you know later developed PTSD from from that experience and other ones. Oh yeah, because it was just um, so intense. Like I would be in that house, you know, where we lived with him, and I shit you not, I was just looking. I was trying to survive, and my favorite movie at the time and still one of my favorites was the matrix Mm -hmm. it really got me thinking you know and we covered more topics like that in high school when i took philosophy you know come to find out this isn't such an original movie well descartes been talking about brains in a vat you know since the 1700s or things like that but i was in that house so desperate to be anywhere else that I actually made myself see the the matrix code fall down the wall one time. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it. I saw the code. Mm-hmm. And that was my brain trying to disassociate and trying to protect myself. Right. Right. And so he's in the music industry. Did you, are there, is there anybody else that had the same experience with this person? Like, is, is there, did you out him at all? Or what does that look like for you? Did you just kind of move on and then, I, you know, I tried to move on, you know, after high school, I got a job and my brother got a job and this dude actually knew people in our town. So he would send people into my brother's work to like spy on him and shit. It was fucking gnarly. Like it was not something that I would ever wish on anybody. And it was. So he was like a stalker on top of it, like just like really possessive and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like he would only let us practice at his place, not the bass player that we ended up getting that lived over in the same town and stuff like that. Um, All consuming, all possessive, completely paranoid about everything, but it's hard to put it into words. It's just an experience. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, um, like, did you, did, did, was, was there anyone that you could tell in the industry that he's a prick? Yeah. And there was, there was one other person in town that had kind of worked with him because it was a friend of mine from high school whose dad knew him, but I'm mm. not sure if that guy was in on it or knew how toxic he was because they were college buddies. But another guy worked with him that I knew at the time. And then he left shortly after because he just, you know, it was just him. He didn't have anything invested and got away. But then, so a couple of years ago, this is like two years ago, um, I get a text from a local musician here in town who said, hey, I was talking with a mutual friend of ours and he told me that you worked with this dude. I worked with this dude also because he was telling him, this gentleman was telling our mutual friend how bad his experience was. And he said, was it this guy? And he said, yes. He said, I know someone else. So he rings, you know, he texts me. We get together at a coffee place. I sit down over coffee with this guy and he begins to tell me my life story. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if you've ever sat down with anybody and had them tell no. you your life story, but oh. it's a trip. Wow. So he had the same experiences. Yeah, for, for longer, I think, though, because Oof. it was just enough right things would happen to make you feel like maybe I can stick this out. Maybe I can stick this out, but for whatever reason, like my, 
I never healed from one trauma. And then the next one would come and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. And you're just like, so it was November of 2006 and I made a trip to Portland. And so this is now getting into, you know, when I was sexually abused. So, and I think it was kind of weird for me too, because I was an adult when my experience happened where a lot of people, a lot of people are, are children you know um not true if you're a woman just had to say that for the right of you know what thank you no thank you for saying that because that's my i'm speaking from my male i know i get it and you're right yes yes absolutely Totally true totally true in your in your skin totally true (laughs) it is and totally true in your skin you know and that just that just goes proves the power of or not the power but privilege yeah exactly that's that's privilege and i know i have it yeah absolutely yeah so i i made this trip over to portland um to celebrate my 21st birthday and my sister and i and some of her friends we went out to a bar she recommended i had my um, you know so my first legal drink it was a cool place and then we went back to my sister's house and i wasn't smoking pot at the time um but I was, you know, obviously we'd had some drinks. So the, you know, festivities kind of continued at my sister's apartment and her, her friend Dustin came over and he, you know, during the festivities offered to buy me pizza for my birthday. I think he worked at a pizza place. So I said, oh, okay, cool. Right on. You know, that's great. Thank you so much. What a great birthday. And uh, then, so I had taken like a few nibbles on some, some buds of marijuana, but I don't think I felt it at all. You know, I've got a pretty high tolerance when it comes to edibles and stuff, but I did have, you know, some drinks as my, being my 21st birthday. And then eventually things wind down, wind it down. Mm-hmm. As they do. Right. As they do. We all have to sleep. So my sister went into her bedroom and then I was going to sleep on the couch. And Dustin was going to sleep, you know, there was another couch or something. So I go to sleep, but then I wake up and my pants are like halfway down. They're like down to my knees and I'm, you know, on the couch. And so Dustin is grabbing my dick and stuff like that and trying to get me hard, essentially. So I wake up to this, right? And I'm just like, when you're, when you arrive at a, a place a situation that you've never uh, been in before right you just yeah. sort of like you're stunned you're shocked a little shocked. bit like, this is now my fucking reality are you fucking kidding me right. okay great so i was trying to f- just figure out what to do and even in that fucking moment i'm thinking how do i handle this respectfully like that's how oh. the conditioning is right yes that I'm still thinking of how, how can I, and really what it is, is it's how can I still be me after this? How can I still be me during this? Cause that's who I am. I care about fucking people. So this goes on for probably a number of minutes where he's just trying to jack me off. And, oh God. and I'm, you know, and so I am thinking about, you know, do I, 
just get up and punch him in the face or what, right. what should like I, it's, what should I do? Or should I, there isn't a handbook on what to do, right. like, <laughs> should I just, you know, give up, give in whatever. Um, <sighs> and he, you know, and it's clear he wants to, you know, give me a blow job. And then at some point, like I <sighs> roll over onto my stomach, but yet that doesn't stop him. Like he's still trying to have his way. Right. Right. Cause he's a predator and that's what yes. they do. So then at some point, I don't know if he realized I was asleep or realized that I wasn't asleep or whatever, but then this is the line that he says. He says, come on, Andy, make my millennium. And at this point, I just want to take this time to address that, the sexual assault aside, like what a fucking awful line that you wrote for yourself. If you were trying to be cool and trying to be suave, like you're a you're you're utterly unfunny and uncreative. Like I don't know how you thought that was cool, but you think you, you know, right. you think you're fucking Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio, but you're you're kind actually of actually just a rapist. Like, yeah, actually, you're just a standard run-of-the-mill fucking rapist. Yeah. 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 So that's when I sit up, like I pull my pants up, right? And I go, what about mine? What about mine? And he said, it could make yours too. Oh. And I said, as far as I know, my pants were on when I went to sleep. So thank you for the pizza, but you need to get the fuck out now. Good for you. And I don't know how many other people have thanked their uh, rapist, sexual abuser, but that was my conditioning. That was my programming kicking in. Be you. Take the high road. Still, even as this fucking cunt has tried mm -hmm. to take yeah. something very precious from you. Yes. I'm still trying to be Intimacy. Myself like yeah. intimate, like exactly taking down all barriers of all boundaries yeah. without consent, like not yeah. okay. And not in okay. addition, and of course, you know, of course it's not okay. And, it, but in addition to that, then he tries to like predators do make it seem like, Oh, I was leading him on or it's it was somehow I had a part to play. Manipulation and tactics. And like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, no, no. And I opened the sliding glass door that led out to the world, wherever said i don't care where you go but get the fuck out good for you I mean, and good for you so i moved to seattle months after that right i don't know if that experience i don't know the level of of influence that experience had but i know that it contributed um, mm -hmm. because i was in seattle and i was when i moved it became very apparent just how deficient i was at operating in the world I didn't know how unprepared I was. Mm. I didn't know the things that I didn't know I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what skills I lacked. I didn't know that my, the relationships that I sought out were these, were always looking for someone to like, in a way, kind of like take care of me, things like that. And so I finished my album that I, went there to make you know the idea was to stay and try to be in the scene but like I couldn't even hmm. I was barely surviving like I I 
I was trying to get away from just alcohol. I was trying to live my value. So I quit a job where I was bartending, making okay money to go work at Home Depot, you know, and I was a seasonal worker there. And my boss was a workaholic and expected everyone else to be a workaholic. And, and I was, um, I couldn't remember things at work. I didn't realize that I was. Yeah. Traumatized out of the word in the present at all. Like you weren't in the present. No, no, I was just trying to survive. So like, I was trying to do the trainings and stuff and trying to get, you know, just better. Like, where's the duct tape? I don't know. I've been here three months and I still don't know because I'm trying not to break down at work almost every day, you know, like it just got to a point where someone asked me, someone like a customer asked me something at one point was kind of flippant. And I basically just was like, listen, listen, I'm a temp. I'm doing my best, but I really don't care. Like, I don't know what you expect from me. I'm a fucking temp and I'm trying, you know, that's where I was at. And I was so homesick, so desperately homesick, desperate to feel at home. I still struggle with that. Mm. I understand that. It's only been recently, like, I've been forced to deal with these demons because of quarantine. I know. Um, My work was the one thing this these past few years since my fiance left that was keeping me afloat and keeping me stable and I work from home but it's not the same right I'm so lucky compared to other people but also like I just started drowning you know not being able to go engage with people and but at you know when I was in Seattle I didn't know that I was basically like it had taken that was five years basically it had taken five years but now that ptsd had fully triggered i would be driving my car from my practice place in uh, fremont uh, where we would have band practices and i would be driving home and i would know where i was i would know what road i was on i knew what day it was i knew what time it was and despite all that i would have this overwhelming sense that I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I am in time. I don't know where I am in space. It was as if like you're getting that unity consciousness, like this enlightenment without any of the light. Mm -hmm. You're just sort of like you expand and all of a sudden you don't know where you are, who you are and where in time and space. Mm -hmm. It was... I didn't and where you belong like where do you belong yeah. like belonging yeah. is such a big part of that and right. foundation like right huge but it's it's amazing because it just the, when you're triggered when you're ptsd like people throw it around really flippantly nowadays like I do. jokingly sure it, it, i get it but what people don't realize is like okay you say trigger but this is what it means it means someone else is now something else is now in control of your body. Right. Something else is now in control of your mind. And those and your body and your mind are now disconnected from each other. And it is not an experience I would wish on anybody. I was basically in the full throes of a pa- of not a panic attack but of a nervous breakdown. Like mm-hmm. I moved into this apartment in North Seattle and I don't think I ever fully unpacked before I moved home. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that I was having a nervous breakdown. I just thought that I was wrong. I just thought that everything about me was wrong. And I, it was right. just 
straight up revival and I was doing all the right things like I was exercising regularly I you know I was I think smoking cigarettes but like I was doing all the things I was eating right I was like being responsible with my money um I had good friends I had a good support structure but because of the trauma in my body um I thought I was doing something wrong right and so I'm still trying to get back to doing all the right things right yes and it's been 10 years since I moved back home basically like 11 years and it's that's what I wish people knew about trauma and things like that it's like it's not a matter of positive thinking it's about healing my body it's about getting my control back and positive thinking is good but not at the expense of the reality of my predicament and my situation absolutely toxic positivity it exists and and it's not always just changing your mindset now what i'm hearing you say is that that's what you're working on like in the last 10 years of your life you you've been like this is my truth and these are my these are the things i've went through you know do you feel that slowly but surely that your relationship with your family is okay it's hard the politics of the world right now make everything harder but I imagine being from a Mormon family that you guys, like there's a lot of uh, communications and a lot of closeness that, that, that they, they still want to keep the order. Yeah, I, so, and I think, you know, some of it is, is genuine just because right. we all want good families and things like that. But I've had to reassert my boundaries in a way which has pissed some people off, you know, even some of the people that I'm closest with in the family. And so because, and like my, you know, my, some of my siblings have a lot of kids and, and I just don't, I'm still trying to be a complete human being. And I don't know how to have a meaningful, healthy relationship with my nieces and nephews. And that's something that I do want, but I've, I have had to just work on myself. You know, mm-hmm. I've told my, my counselor many times, like, I just, I don't know how to be this responsible uncle. I would love to be more active, but I don't have the energy. Like I'm, you know what yeah, I mean? Like I yeah. am having to do the work that was not done when I was younger. I'm having to kind of like reparent myself and, mm-hmm. and find healthier coping mechanisms. And, and healthier and, boundaries, because that's the one thing that specifically I can yeah. hear throughout your entire story is that there's yeah. been no respect for your own. I know what it's like not to be listened to, mm-hmm. not to be heard. And I see so many people right now in the world, in the country, not being heard. Like I, I donate my own time, like to the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. Like I run sound for the rallies here because I'm trying to literally figuratively amplify the voices of people that no one wants to listen to. And again, Mm -hmm. it's more like, you know, there's a common phrase within the movement like no justice, no peace, right? right? If there is no justice, there will be no peace. Mm -hmm. And again, it speaks to, you want us to maintain an order and a peace, which is not orderly or peaceful for us. So no, thank you. But I don't know how to love someone who's constantly hurting me. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wait a minute, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And that's, and, and I was, I have also been that person that, has been hurting me 
and I have not known how to love. Mm. That makes me tear up. So you've done it. You finally have done it, Andy. Like, uh. <laughs> yes. And that's the hopeful thing is that you'll find that self-love and understand that that's the only vessel that needs to be filled. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thanks again, Andy, for coming on and sharing your story. Um, I'm going to make this really, really quick so we can get to Andy's music, but Andy picked the NAACP for his nonprofit choice and the vision of the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People is to ensure a society in which all individuals have equal rights without discrimination based on race. I think it's the second time we've had this one. It's a great, um, if you can go there, donate. Uh, my nonprofit choice is Rahab Sisters. I'm going to link their give guide um, with this. If you can give, please give through there because then you have a chance of winning something fun through um, the Willamette Week. Happy Mary things. I hope you have the make the most of this season that's coming up, uh, whatever it is that you celebrate. Or if you don't, uh, I love you and I'm glad I've had this year with you. Um, you've rode with me all along, and I appreciate that. So let's get right to Andy's music to play us out, uh, and I will link Andy's music as well. So happy Mary to you and yours. I hope this season is the best it possibly can be, and you make the most of it just like you have this whole year because you're a complete badass. Let's get right to Andy's music. Andy's going to play us out. Enjoy. behind 